Good morning, my friends. Uh, doesn't it look real natural to have uh, Lauren at the piano? <laughs> Lauren, thanks for being here. I'm happy to report to you that uh, the family hates California and they're moving back here. Um, that's what we're praying for. <laughs> We're starting a series called Bearing the Wind Load. When engineers set out to build a bridge, they have to take into account three different loads. There is what they call the dead load. That's the weight of the bridge itself. There is the live load. That's the weight of the traffic that will be on the bridge. And then there is the wind load. That is the special stress that comes from the wind and the rain and the storms and the torquing and the twisting. In the same way, each of us must bear our own load our own stuff, our background, our temperament. You might call that uh, the dead load that we carry around. We also carry each other's burdens. You might call that the live load. Some people's burdens are so great that we need to partner with them and share with them and weep with those who weep as well as rejoicing with those who rejoice. And then there's the wind load that we must prepare for, the, the torquing and the twisting of trials, storms. Can your faith stand in the hard times? Somebody here, perhaps, has a boss that belittles you. It's very painful. How does your faith speak to that? Someone here, perhaps, has been the object of racism. Very painful. How do we persevere with the Lord and trust him, and how can we say, it is well with my soul? Someone here, perhaps, has watched a loved one slowly decline. And so knowing that, as Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, <laughs> We offer a series on bearing the wind load, the problem of pain and suffering. Here are the weeks of our series today, Why Does God Allow Pain? And so forth. The question for today, why does God allow pain, is one of the great um, 
philosophical and religious questions, certainly of Christianity, but, but other world religions and other philosophies also. It's, it's, it's one of the things that troubles us in the human condition. For example, uh, the pantheistic religions deal with the problem of pain and suffering by minimizing it or perhaps is going as far as to deny it. That is to say, in pantheism, all is one, right? Pantheism. Uh, light and darkness, ultimately, if we gain a sen- uh, 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 the, the, the achievement of enlightenment, we see that it is all one. There's no distinction. Life and death, it's all one. Good and evil, enlightenment can show us that it's all part of one reality. And Christianity says uh, there is a better perspective, a more realistic and a more helpful perspective on suffering. Suffering is not an illusion, it is real. Pain in Christianity and suffering and racism and all these things, it is genuine evil. And God gives us strength and tools and faith and perspective to bear this wind load. It's not just in my mind, it's not just an illusion. Naturalistic atheism says, well, yeah, there's a pain in this world, but it's not a matter of good and evil because there is no such thing as good and evil. There is no purpose and there's no mind behind the cosmos. We're just all trapped in here in an endless series of cause and effect, like billiard balls on the table, cause and effect and effect and effect and cause and effect. And don't be troubled about pain and evil, sometimes, you know, we just get caught in the gears. Don't look for any higher purpose, but Christianity says there is a higher purpose, and that's what we're looking at today. Atheistic existentialism comes along on the heels of atheistic naturalism and says, yes, it is true, there is no higher purpose, but we can't live that way. And so you must give yourself purpose. And it's arbitrary what you uh, uh, assign to the ultimate purpose in life. It could be something altruistic and, and good like helping people. It could be something arbitrary like fly fishing. But find a reason to exist. Define yourself. Lift yourself out of suffering. And Christianity, I submit to you, is also troubled by this question, but I think it does a better job than the other perspectives, world religions, philosophies, because it does not deny evil. It says it is real, it is objective, and we can grow. We can be more like Christ. We can learn to trust him. We can help each other. We look forward to the end of evil. Today, why does God allow pain?
One of the great phrases in the Bible is, but God. It appears like six or seven times. You ought to look it up sometime. You who were far away from God were, were uh, tra uh, trapped in misery and in sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, uh, sent his son. Six or seven of these. One of them is in Genesis 50. You know the great story? Joseph was the favored son of his father. Remember, he had uh, 11 brothers, 12 of them uh, all told. He was the favored son. That's good. At least it was good for Joseph. But the brothers were very jealous. I mean, I mean, like uh, death-dealing jealous. And they captured him, and they put him in a pit, and they sold him to be a slave. That's bad. That's evil. But God was with him. As a slave, he was bought by this Egyptian official. His name was Potiphar, and he, he did very well in Potiphar's household, and he was very trustworthy and very skillful, and he rose to be like the steward of the whole household. Potiphar trusted him. That's good. He was prospering. Remember the story? Then Potiphar's wife had an eye on him, and she tried to seduce him, and he resisted. I cannot do this evil against God and against my master. And so she trumped up these charges. He tried to rape me, and they put him in prison. That's bad. You ever been falsely accused? It's very painful. No, no, I didn't. No, no, seriously, I didn't. Yeah, sure. And then in prison, God was with him, and he, he rose once again, and he was very trustworthy, and he, he sort of became sort of the head of the, uh, the inside of the prison. That's good. And then one of the prisoners who was being released said, I will remember you. I will, I will uh, bring your name before Pharaoh. Don't you worry. I'll take care of you. Then that guy forgot him. That's bad, maybe kind of in, inadvertent evil. I don't think he was being malicious, but he forgot him. Two years went by. Then, through a series of circumstances, Pharaoh did notice him. He took him out of prison. He raised him to a high place. He eventually became sort of the prime minister of Egypt. Remember the story? That's good. And there was a great famine, and Joseph's brothers came down from Canaan, from the Promised Land, down to Egypt because there was grain in Egypt. And when they found out that this was Joseph, this, this, this Egyptian-looking guy, this uh, prime minister of the whole country, they were afraid. They thought, we're done. That's it. It's over. He's going to kill us. He'll put us in prison, whatever. And Joseph said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. There is evil, objectively, but God. Different translations handle you meant it for evil, uh, you planned it for evil, you orchestrated. Behind the word, however we translate it in English, in Hebrew, uh, it, has a, it originally meant to weave you wove it, concocted it, planned it, you schemed it, nit, 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 nit. God wove it all together for good. So
So why does God allow pain? What is he weaving? Heavenly Father, as we open your holy, authoritative word, please teach us. Help us to bear the wind load as Jesus did. Amen. First truth, God often uses pain to conform us to Christ. This is a difficult truth, but it is taught in Scripture. I'll show you some Scriptures here in a minute. But I think as we uh, make our way into this difficult truth, maybe, maybe we can start with something simpler. For example, um, getting into shape, like exercising, maybe you're training for a half marathon, you're getting into shape. Hey, you guys, there is pain involved, yes, but it's for a higher good. So on the everyday level, we know that Pain can be used for a higher purpose. Getting your diploma, your degree, involves pain. Someone give me a witness. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's for a higher good. Saving somebody from a burning car. I imagine there's going to be pain for you, but it's a higher good. It's worth it. It's, you, you volunteer for it. And so on the everyday level... We know that in some circumstances, pain is part of a victory. It's necessary to a victory. Bob Richards is the only American, I think the only person ever, to have won the Olympics uh, pole vault twice. He got the gold medal twice. It was all the way back in, I think it was like 58 and 62, Bob Richards was the first person they ever put on the Wheaties box. <laughs> well, Bob Richards was um, interviewing, when he got older, he was interviewing some younger Olympic athletes, and he asked them, you know, a series of questions. One of the questions he asked was, what do you do when the pain starts? And all of the athletes, none of them seemed surprised by this question or uh, stumbled over it. They all had a specific you know, way to handle it. Some included prayer and meditation in different ways. And then after the interview was over and the lights were turned down, the cameras were turned off, someone came and said, Bob Richards, that was, that was an interesting question. Uh, what do you do when the pain starts? Where did you get a, come up with that question? And he replied, matter-of-factly, oh, well, you never win the gold without pain. So in everyday life, we know that this truth, we know this truth that God, or even on the horizontal level, we, pain is often part of a greater good. And what is the greatest good for the Christian? Why, what is God doing with us? What's the, the goal, the telos? It is to conform us to Christ. It is to make, as C.S. Lewis said, little Christs, Christians, uh, 
to chip away the impurities, to refine our character. And God often uses pain toward that greater good. Can I show it to you in the scripture? To keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. So this is the Apostle Paul. He's the great Apostle Paul. He had authority over people. He planted churches. They looked to him. Uh, he had visions and, you know, an encounter with God. To, to keep him from becoming conceited, he could easily have become, gone on a power trip or something. God allowed. God it says he even sent uh, pain a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was, but it was not a good thing. It was not a happy thing. To let Paul know, hey, you're weak. <laughs> you're subordinate. You're just keeping in mind. I know I've lifted you to a high place. Don't get conceited. James says, count it all joy. Wow when you meet trials of various kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so what can pain teach us? How can it you know, conform us uh, to Christ. Well, what does it say? So that we will learn to be steadfast. See, Christ was steadfast, right? He set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, toward the cross. And so we need that. We need to be like Jesus. And you really can't learn steadfastness, am I right? when everything is rosy and good and happy and, and prosperous. And you really can't learn to uh, hang in there with God and, and trust Him and, and persevere and endure without pain. How, how can pain help us? Well, um, it can give us, it, it can make us compassionate. Jesus was compassionate, right? And when we ourselves suffer, boy, you just naturally feel it more for other people. And so we get a little, a little shot of adrenaline, a little growth spurt, and you become a little more like Jesus. Pain can give us wisdom, wisdom that's it's hard to come by when, when you're not suffering. For example, you and I tend to think that we are eternal, that is to say these physical bodies in this life on earth, if not eternal, at least long-lasting, and then pain comes along and says, uh-uh, uh-uh. You are as brief as a mist. You are as thin as a shadow. And we learn things like that when we suffer. And that is called wisdom. 
and we order our lives accordingly to, this, to the brevity of life and to the insubstantial nature of these few fleeting days. I don't know if you can learn that during prosperity. Maybe you can, but not as well. You and I tend to think we are strong, we are permanent, we are, uh, we, we are healthy and, and whole and the master of our fate and the captain of our own souls. And pain and suffering comes along as, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're not strong. The smallest microbe, the most unlikely mechanical failure, the least expected terrorist attack shows us how frail we are. And that is called wisdom. Remember the parable about the guy who said, take it easy, my, I said to my soul, soul, take it easy. You have many goods laid up for you. Uh, eat, drink, be merry. And that very night, God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. That was a fool, and God was trying to give wisdom. And pain can help us along that road. So God uses suffering to conform us to Christ. That is a hard truth for North Americans to hear. The American mindset is that we have certain unalienable rights. Life, liberty, pursuit of that is a right. And someone takes that away from you, including God, then that, that's bad and that's wrong and how dare you? In modern interpretation of, of the, uh, the, the Declaration of Independence, we, I don't know that the original framers had this in mind, but in modern de- uh, 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 interpretation, we think it is my right to be healthy and whole and, and, and prosperous. And, uh, uh, and so it's hard for North Americans to hear God can use pain toward a higher good. The highest good in God's economy is not a pain-free existence. That's hard. The highest good currently is being conformed to Christ. Maybe ultimately, ultimately we can say the highest good, heaven, transformation, new heavens and new earth, new bodies. Maybe, yes, maybe that's the highest good, but right now, right now, he has not ordained a pain-free existence. So we get our word uh, tribulation from the Latin word tribulum. A tribulum was a heavy wooden beam that they, uh, they dragged it over grain to help uh, break apart, the, uh, to, to free the seeds from the husk and, you know, the other stuff. And we get our word tribulation because God uses it to free our character 
from the stuff that is going to be burned up one day, wood, hay, and stubble. And so, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so that is a first answer to the question, why does God allow pain? First perspective, he does so in order to help conform us character-wise to the image of our Lord. Here's a second reason God allows pain. To elevate our ministry. For example, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that purpose, so that for the purpose of to comfort others who are in affliction. When I say elevate our ministry, I don't mean like to get puffed up and to become famous. I mean to, to, to leverage your ministry, to make it even more effective, more of a, a voice of God and a voice of compassion and a voice to help produce change, and suffering can do that. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He comforts us in our affliction, and now I'm equipped to pass on that comfort to others in their affliction. For example, your girlfriend may end your relationship suddenly. It's very painful. And now you are in a position if you receive the comfort of Christ, you are in a position to help someone else in the same circumstance. Better than you could have done, you know, having not gone through it yourself. Your ministry is kind of elevated. You may have trouble conceiving a child. Very painful. And yet God meets you. And somehow, through the mysterious working of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you are able to say, it is well with my soul. And you are in a position <clears throat> to comfort others and help others in their affliction. You may have a parent, a grandparent, a loved one with Alzheimer's, it's very painful. It's very painful. They don't even remember you. And yet, you are bearing the wind load. You are maintaining your faith. You are trusting God. And you are in a position to reach out to others. So, Elevating our ministry can enhance our compassion. It can also help us with our evangelism. Suffering in, in the Bible is linked to evangelism, and those who suffer uh, 
find that they can maybe even be better evangelists. Uh, For example, uh, Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, can you believe it? (laughs) For your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. What in the world does this mean? A lot of ink has been spilled on this verse. What is lacking in Christ's sufferings? Well, we know that the Apostle Paul didn't mean like, you know, he died and now half your sins can be forgiven, or he died and now you have to work for the rest. He's not talking about that. Jesus died. It is finished. Once for all, this sacrifice is paid And now to bring that to completion, he says to fill up, to carry out the implications of that death, he's talking about evangelism, telling other people, filling up, bringing to completion what he started. Part of the deal is that we suffer as evangelists, at least the apostle Paul did. And he rejoices in that because it's all part of this elevated ministry of preaching the gospel and sharing the good news. And so if you are an evangelist and if you're praying for your neighbor and if you're looking for ways to share and if you invite someone to church and if you uh, are involved and if you suffer for that, yeah, that, that does happen. We may see it happen more in the years to come. But we can rejoice because we are filling up. We are bringing to completion. We're carrying out this thing Jesus started by telling others forgiveness is possible. Good news. So that is a second reason God allows suffering to elevate our ministry. Give you another one here, number three. Suffering compels us to focus forward. Let us run with endurance. Do you remember this from Hebrews? It wasn't that long ago. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder, the word is actually pioneer. He's out there blazing the trail. He's the first one. He's hacking away through the wilderness. Let us look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, um, Suffering naturally compels us to focus forward. It naturally raises in us an instinct, a hope. Things have got to be better than this. Reunions must take place. Evil must be put down. This is an unnatural state, and suffering compels us to focus forward as Jesus did for the joy set before him. 
So I say that suffering compels us to focus forward. That is true, uh, once again, in mundane circumstances, right? We know this from everyday life. Like if you're in the gym and you're working out and let's say you're doing the bench press and you're doing reps and toward the end of the reps, it is so painful and your mind can't help but think, I'm almost done, I'm almost done, two more, two more. And in the same way, in our pain, we naturally think it's got to be better than this. It has to come to an end. And your instinct, if you are a Christian believing in Jesus, your instinct is absolutely right. Reunions will take place. Evil will be put down. And your instinct will be fulfilled in our, pil- in our progress as pilgrims, uh, when the road is smooth or when the road is downhill, we rarely think about heaven. But when the road twists and when the lightning flashes and when it's uphill and when the rain beats down, then we think there has got to be something better than this. Good news you're right. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Go back to Hebrews For people who speak thus, those who have faith, like the heroes, like Moses and Moses' parents and Abraham and all those people, those who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, a better country, that is to say, a heavenly one. And suffering compels us to focus forward. I'm listening to a book right now, a, uh, a History of the Middle Ages. It's about the medieval times. And the author says that preparation for the next life was the great preoccupation of the age. And this is the primary thing or the biggest thing that separates us from the Middle Ages. Certainly, technology separates us. That's big. Certainly, democracy separates. They, they didn't have any concept of d- democracy. That's, that's huge. Uh, medicine separates us. They, they're very, very rudimentary medicine. But, but the author says the number one difference between them and us is they saw this life as rehearsal for singing in the concert. They saw this life as pouring a foundation and building a foundation on rock, not on sand, for an eternal dwelling. And suffering can help us with that. So, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Can I give you one more 
This is a little bit longer sermon today, but the Bible talks about this a lot. (laughs) Why does God allow pain? Give you one more. Intimacy with Jesus. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There is something about suffering that helps us know Christ what can we say, deeper, more intimately, uh, in, in a way that we really can't. Because Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And they lied about him, and they bounced him through a kangaroo court, and they nailed him to the cross. And people made fun of him while he was on the cross. And so when we suffer, it's, it's like, yeah, we get it. Yeah, yeah, I see what you did. Thank you. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Dr. Paul Brand was the world's leading expert on the hand. He was a surgeon, and his expertise was the hand. He developed his vast knowledge by ministering for many, many years in India with lepers. As you may know, leprosy, technically called Hansen's disease, it it affects the nerves. And so, you know, someone might, uh, you know, cut their hand and uh, not care about it that much because it doesn't doesn't hurt and it gets all infected or they may, you know, hit it with a hammer or, or something. And so people become deformed because they cannot feel pain. And Dr. Paul Brand has written about uh, this, this kind of thinking. He has one book called Pain, The Gift Nobody Wants, and another one called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. A surgeon looks at the human body and gleans spiritual lessons. Well, in that book, uh, Paul Brand tells a story. He was at a gathering of lepers, uh, people with uh, Hansen's disease. It was an outdoor gathering. It was like in a courtyard. And he was just attending just to be there. And then the leader of the meeting noticed him and asked him to speak. He didn't have anything prepared. He didn't know what to talk about. Um, He stood up 
and his eyes were drawn to the people's hands. Many of them were drawn into what they call the leper's claw. And some people were ashamed and embarrassed and kind of sat on their hands. And the atmosphere was dense with the smell of close-packed bodies and bandages and antiseptic. And Paul Brand said, I like hands. I'm a hand surgeon. And he began to describe the hands of Jesus. He talked about the, the hands of Jesus as a boy, clumsy and holding a stylus and trying to learn to write and learning to use the tools. And he talked about the hands of Jesus, uh, the carpenter, rough hands, and he knew where there would be calluses and maybe broken nails. And he talked about the hands of Jesus, the healer, compassion, power. And he talked about the hands of Jesus on the cross. And he said, I know that you cannot put a spike through a hand through the tremendous complex of muscles and tendons and bones and blood vessels and nerves. You cannot put a spike through it without turning it into a claw. And then he talked about the hands of the resurrected Christ, still with those marks. His whole body was transfigured. He was new. New life came out of the grave. But he apparently is carrying for eternity those marks. Why? Paul Brand says maybe because he wants to remember. He wants to identify with us in our suffering. And just as Jesus identifies with us in our pain, so in our pain we identify with him. And I think there is a special kind of intimacy and maybe a partial answer for why does God allow pain? Our wise heavenly Father, dispenser of grace and wisdom, ruler of pain and pleasure, please teach us. Please strengthen us. Help us bear the wind load. Help us follow Jesus, the pioneer of our faith, and arrive safely in heaven. Through Christ our Lord, amen.